Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. All in His touch. I want us to read a couple of scriptures here this morning as I get into this morning's conversation with you. Daniel 8, verse 18. And it reads as follows. While He was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me. Everybody say he touched me. He touched me and raised me to my feet. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8 verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Now Matthew 15, a few verses down. Matthew 8, 15, he says, he touched her. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. There's so many other verses that I could read to you this morning to completely take uh, this morning's next few minutes till midday. But so many testimonies we find in Scripture describing what a touch of Jesus will do to a man or a woman or a child. A simple touch of the Master's hand. What happens to the individual to whom the Lord touches is awesome. There are great testimonies in Scripture, and not only in Scripture, but even today around us, there are people who have experienced a miraculous touch of God. Lives totally healed, delivered, set free, restored, all with a single touch. My question of the hour this morning as we begin to converse, does anybody need a touch from the hand of God? Does anybody remember anymore what it feels like to be touched of the Lord? That's an important question, especially today in our society. We have so many groups and so many circles of faith in this world today who come and have great meetings Great entertainment, great music, great everything, aesthetics, everything is prepared beautifully. But still I'd say that there are many in the church who have forgotten what a touch of God is. There are many, both older and younger, who have forgotten. They've heard of the touch of Jesus, but they've never experienced it. And those who have felt it before it's been so long that they have forgotten what it feels like to be touched of the Lord such a tremendous thing to observe today when we walk out of church we walk out the same as we walked in what was it what was it was it the music or was it the sermon uh, was it the air condition, what was it? Why is it that I walked in the house of God and I walked out the same? You know, that should be an impossibility. 
It should be impossible for us to come in through the thresholds of those doors of this venue, this sanctuary, and walk out the same. You can never stay the same if Jesus touches you. How many have experienced change because of the touch of God? How many can say, this is who I was before, but the moment he touched me, everything changed about me. Oh, if you knew just a little bit of my testimony, you wouldn't want to listen to me anymore. Some of you would doubt that I'm still the same man. But I can tell you that who I was was somebody else and I became somebody else. And what cut, what drew the line in the sand of my life was a touch of God. That's what changed my destiny. That's what changed who I was. That's what changed my mentality. That's what changed my vocabulary. That's what changed my direction in life. One single touch of God. You wonder... Why is it that this person goes to church so much and yet he's still the same person? They still talk the same. They still do the same things. Nothing has changed about it. Why? They must be going to a bad church. Well, in these days, that might be a possibility. But the fact of the matter is there one major reason. They've never been touched of God. They've never been touched by Jesus. They've never had a true and personal encounter with our Savior. Do you still remember what it feels like? We see we're so good at animating things and learning and, and just being conditioned to do religious things. We know when it's proper to say, Amen. Everybody say amen. You see, you know that. Somebody give the Lord a praise this morning. Come on. Somebody give him a praise. You see, you know how to do that. Right? You know how to do that. You knew the words of this song. You know how to sing. You know how to move about in the church and do that which is classical here, uh, what everybody does, because we are, we're trained, we're conditioned to do that. But can I tell you something scary? And it's in Scripture. But it'll turn into another sermon if I take off there. But something scary about the Word of God and description of the church is that though we know how to applaud Though we know how and when to say amen, we know the songs to the worship that we provide for you here. Still, that does not constitute a touch of God. No, it doesn't. You see, if it did, I don't think that Jesus would sit on that day as is described, listening to people saying, Lord... Did we not testify in your name? Lord, did we not walk in the streets with you? Lord, did we not sit down and have communion on Sunday morning at Rock of Ages? And God's response to that is that, have I ever touched you? Have you ever felt my hand in your life? I don't even know you. 
And let me tell you, church, that's a scary thing to know because you can be conditioned even in the midst of an environment just like this. How many enjoyed worship this morning? I don't know about you. I did. I always enjoy worship. I really do. I enjoy worship. I'm going to stay here as long as these guys will put up with this old man playing with them. But I truly enjoy it. It's in my spirit. It's in my soul. I've been a musician for so long, and, and I thank God that he's transferred everything that I was uh, in my music abilities, uh, big or better or ugly, whatever you want to call it. I, I've surrendered it to him, and I enjoy my worship. I enjoy my worship. You can get so involved, even I myself, so involved with the technicalities of the instrumentation that goes on up here that you could play your guitar, play your drums, your piano, whatever, and completely be untouched of the Lord. Just because you teach a class, just because you lead worship, just because you sit in a pew, because you're the biggest giver, because you are the most hospitable person, because you're the nicest guy that we have here in the church, the nicest family, most notable working people, in it, that still does not constitute a people touched of God. You see, because all the aesthetics, there are results. They're not initiators. They're results of someone who has been touched of the Lord. And so does anybody need to be touched of the Lord? In the scripture, no one remained the same who were touched of Christ. No one whose testimony we read of in God's word was left unaffected, unchanged. When the Lord touched them to see the blind received their sight. The lame stood up and were healed and walked to the deaf. Their ears were open to hear the blind. Their eyes were open to make see. And the dead were raised to live again. All in a single touch. It was for this that Jesus came to earth. It was for this that the Lord brought him to Jerusalem that day. To take hold of our lives, every one of us in this place, in every way, and with his hands, cause changes that will begin to mold us into a heavenly likeness. To begin to change us, transform us, pull things out, bring things in that are going to get us ready to just simply be translated into heaven with little change. Only to become glorified because we're already so heavenly minded. We're living our lives with Christ so much that now it's just a translation. It's not going through the mill and grinding on the way up and fixing and moving things and breaking bones and, and applying things. No, no, it's a translation. It's from one, it's a twinkling of an eye. See, because the touch of God is supposed to happen here now, the transformation become, becomes real now. That's what God is expecting. Whatever your circumstance and position and your level of walk in God, whatever it might be this morning, I'm going to tell you if you want to propel or excel forward, you need a touch of God in the now. You see, old wine... Old stories, old glory, everyone has those. I, I would sit with 
uh, some elders. I'd sit with my parents. I'd, I'd sit with my mom, uh, someone that was older than I, and we'd begin to talk about the church. And, and we'd sit there, and, and I'd listen to them talk, and all they could do was talk about the 40s and the 50s when things were different. And, oh, I remember that. Oh, the move of God was pouring, and, and the women and men were rolling at the altar and prayer services were huge and, and just talking and talk and you're sitting there and you then you're comparing with your present moment and you're looking at the church they're describing 30 years ago and you can't help but wonder what happened what happened people used to take time to uh, to, to describe us and give us name they used to call Christians holy rollers Holy rollers. Why? Because that's what they did at the altar. They'd come and they'd be so blessed and they'd be rolling around on the floor and men and women together. Everybody was walking around the women with, with uh, covers to, to cover them up because the Lord had a grip on them and they were shouting, screaming, filled and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And people were looking at it and saying, oh, those guys are, are you a holy roller. I'm wondering what the world's testimony of the church is now. Ow. I wonder what the world has to say about me, a preacher. I've heard a lot of things, trust me. But I wonder what they have to say about you, the church. Could it be they're saying like, oh, man. I don't know that those people that go to Rock of Ages... Man, I don't like to hang around too much for them because, man, these guys are prayer-filled. I mean, you walk around and you can't hardly do anything. You feel the presence of the Lord with them. I say, nombre. Look at Rock of Ages. Put a party animal. I know them all, man. They're the same, man. They're cool, dude. They hang with us everywhere we go. Young people, they do everything we do, man. They, they go to church whatever, for whatever reason. I don't, but they go to church, but we still hang out the same places, man. Oh, the brothers in church, yeah, he's, he goes to church and he helps out there. But, man, dude, he can put on a great party at home, man. What do they say about us? What happened? Maybe we've forgotten what it feels like to be touched of the Lord. Remember when you were first saved? I want you to think about that for a moment. Remember when you were first saved? Nobody could tell you to be quiet. No one could stop you from coming to church. No one could stop you from telling your friends. No one could stop you from doing anything concerning your newfound love. You were on fire. That's the description we use. This guy's on fire. But all of a sudden, it begins to rain on you. And from that orange burning flame, you see, you begin to see smoke as some of the fire begins to smother. And all of a sudden, you've got nothing but billows of smoke and very, very dim embers. Why? Because of a touch of God. You see, we call our men's meeting here fire keepers. Because that's exactly what all of us are supposed to be. 
fire keepers. We're supposed to be in constant touch with God. We're supposed to be looking for the Lord always to be embraced by him, love on him, us loving him, embracing him back. Because things happen when he touches us. You know what I'm talking about. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Some of you should be saying, I know. I know what it is when God touches you. I know what it's like not to be touched. It's been a while since the Lord has been in all over me and, and moving on me. But I love the way it feels. But how do we get back to that? Well, I think the answer is very simple. And I'll give them to you quickly. One, you need to know you need one. Oh, that's simple, Pastor. Yes, but seldom practiced. You need to know you need to be touched by God. And that's a hard thing in this prideful world that we live in to accept the fact that we have a need. This is why we're so trained that when we see each other and you ask, how are you doing? Why do you even ask? What are they going to say? Oh, man, it is no good. This and the other. I'm doing fine. We're so trained and conditioned to, to push back things and, and not be transparent. That when you ask someone, even if they're burning up in a fever, how are you doing? I'm okay. No, you're not. You're sick. How are you doing? You're, you're impoverished. You're hurting. You've got, just got fire. You need help. Your family has no food. And you wonder why nobody helps you. It's because they just asked you how you're doing. You said you're fine. But yet your children have nothing to eat. See, transparency. We're arrogant people. Pride has no knees. Pride has no knees. It won't bend. It won't give in. It'll always say I'm doing great. And that'll all water down and sprinkle into our walk with God. If I was to ask every one of you today, how are you doing in your walk with God? I can tell you that a good 98% of you would say, I'm doing good, Pastor. Yet you've never prayed. You've never read the word. You seldom come to church. You don't testify or witness to anybody. And yet your answer is, I'm doing fine. So I'm wondering, could it be maybe that you've not received the touch of the Lord because you don't think you need one? You don't think you need one. You know what I find most intriguing, ladies and gentlemen, as I read into the life of Christ, when his ministry was in full throw, when he was doing all these things, healing all these people and just touching people and lepers were being clean and the blind were seeing and the lame were walking and the dead were being raised and all these things that were happening. There were hundreds and possibly thousands of people. But yet the scripture says that he healed many. Everybody say many. How many know what many, the word many means? You know what it means? In simple layman's terms, many means not everybody. There are many people here. 
many. I could be talking on one thing specific and say, um, a white car. Oh, yeah, many people in the church have white cars. What does that mean? That there's a lot of white cars and owners here, right? But it does not mean that everybody has a white car, just many. And the Bible says that Jesus healed many. So that tells me that amongst everybody that was around him, many were touched and healed. I'm wondering what happened to those that were not touched by God. Think about that for a moment. That's to me is probably the most intriguing thing. That while he healed many, that means that many were not. And I believe that there may be a lot of reasons why. But one in particular, and the point I'm trying to make, is that there is a possibility that many people more could have been touched if they just recognized that they needed a touch of God. If they just needed a touch of God. I dare say this morning that all the people that were touched of the Lord, and if you read some of their stories, they came to Christ, the woman with the issue of blood. She was pressing through the crowds, reaching out to touch the Lord. Uh, the blind man, Bartimaeus, cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They cried out. But yet Bartimaeus wasn't alone. There were people around him telling him to be quiet. Were those people touched of God? No. There were many lepers in the days of Christ. As a matter of fact, they would establish little cities where nothing but lepers used to live. And those people had an ordinance of the mayor or the governor of the city that if they were going to come into town to H-E-B to buy some food, they had to walk in shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would hear them shouting unclean and they'd go around them because they were leprous. They humiliated them. They made them say, I'm dirty, don't come near me. But yet the Bible says that there were ten who came to him. And I'm thinking there was a city of them. Why only that many? Why only that many? Could it have possibly been that the other people, the other lepers in the city may have been conditioned to say, well, this is just the way it is for me. I'm a leper. That's it. My digits are going to start falling off. That's what leprosy does. My nerve endings, I'm not going to feel any pain. I'm going to see my toes begin to wither away and rot and fall off. My, I'm going to lose my feet. That's just the way it is. And I wonder sometimes if anybody was around, maybe those ten who said, you know what can happen? If you'll just recognize that maybe God can touch you, something will happen. And maybe never recognizing that all it would take was a touch of the master. And that's exactly what happened to the ten. They came to him. And they cried out to him. That one leper that we read about most, the one who came back thankful. He said, the Lord, if, if you are willing, make me clean. Church, listen, some of us are standing at the edge of a miracle this morning. All you have to do is recognize you need that miracle. 
All you have to do is be transparent with God and say, you know, Lord, I'm struggling with these things in my mind. And it's real to me. I need to expose them before you. Lord, I'm struggling with the stuff in my heart. Father, I'm struggling financially. I'm hurting. I, uh, everybody's doing well. And they ask me what they want me to say, that I'm really having trouble paying my payments. I'm not going to expose myself that way. I'm not going to open myself up to that. Uh, I'm, I'm not. And we hide those things as if the Lord is going to somehow say, I'm going to force you to confess these things. The Lord doesn't force you to confess anything. The Bible says if you confess that he is Lord, you will be saved. There's no strong arming to get us to heaven. The Lord will look at you if you don't want to confess him as Lord and say, suit yourself. I made it available for you. And so it is with the touch of the Lord. This morning, you will either be touched of the Lord or you won't. You walk out, you'll come in the same and leave the same, or you'll come in and leave different. And it'll all depend on your hunger and recognition of you needing a touch of God. The second thing this morning. Not only to recognize and to sit there and wait and say, well, I know the Lord will come and find me where I'm at with this need. But to actually get up and seek the Lord, to reach out to God. You know, when we lead worship up here, and I remember when I used to lead worship, one of the favorite things that I used to, not favorite things, but the custom things that I was used to saying to you was to press in. Press in, church. You know why we use the word press in, why we speak of pressing in? It's because there's a lot of things in your life and my life that want to keep us away from true worship. I'll say to you, pray until you can pray. Just this morning I was speaking to one of our young ladies here about prayer. How difficult it is to pray for 15 minutes. Just 15 minutes. And keep focused in your prayer. That takes a lot of tenacity. That takes a lot of discipline to actually bow down and say, Lord, I'm going to speak to you constantly, continuously, without interruption for 15 minutes. Because this is what will happen. Father, I worship you, Lord. And I thank you for your goodness in my life. Thank you for saving me, Father. Thank you for my precious wife, my children, Lord. Thank you, Lord to go buy dog food. I have to work tomorrow and I'm going to have to close the store. Oh, oh, Lord. Move in my life, Lord. Loosen your spirit upon my life, Father God. Oh, I was supposed to get the stamp on the car. Don't tell me that's not you. That's not me, Pastor. I'm straight in, straight conversation with the Lord. No, 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 no. Ah, you're just like me. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said, I've perfected prayer. I've prayed for three hours without interruption. Get out of my way. No, it happens to all of us. 
This is why we need to discipline ourselves to press in and pray until you can pray, until you train those voices in your heart to say, be quiet, I'm talking to the master. The devil's always walking around you say, are you praying? Are you praying? The dog, the dog needs food. Hey, 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 hey. All in interruption. And then you get up and you wonder why you're not satisfied in your prayer life. You didn't even pray. The Lord was barely going like, what? And you were already entertaining something else. You almost stirred the Lord to unfold his leg from his couch and go like, were you saying something? Oh, you're talking to yourself. All right, no problem. <laughs> pray until you can pray. Reach out. You need a touch of God? Reach out. Don't let things get in the way. Do what Bartimaeus did when they told him to be quiet and not bother the Savior. He still shouted all that much louder, hallelujah, to get the attention of the Lord. You see, your problems, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, your problems aren't important to me like they are to you. Isn't that a horrible thing for a pastor to say? But if, I, if anybody else tells you different, he's lying. Any pastor say, oh, your problems are right here. Not, you were playing golf yesterday. Be honest with the people. And that will teach you something. That your problems are not going to be important to anybody except you. And if you are unwilling to stand up, rise up, and reach out to God so that God can respond for your marriage, for your children, for your finances, for your own life, then it's not going to matter to anybody. This is why we need to learn how to press in. Learn to reach out. Some of us, you're expecting that maybe I'm going to get off and say, like, oh, come here, I, I need to touch you so that Jesus can touch you. I'm not going to call you out. When we make altar calls, I say, come if you want. Step out and come in. I want to meet the Lord. I need a touch of God in my life. Every single one that the Lord healed in great power, they knew he was able to heal them. They heard of his resume. They heard of him being in town. This is why people flock together, and this is why many were healed. But again, I say to you, not everybody was healed. Not everybody. And I believe that deciding factor, the differentiation there, the, the separator, the line in the sand was those who knew they needed a touch of God. What are you willing to do for your answer? If you're still in the same condition, why are you still there? Are you hoping that somebody will just kind of guess what your situation is? Well, somebody is going to make your problem more important to them than it is to you? Mm -mm. See, when I have, when I'm going through something, I take time to separate myself. I could come over here and cry and say, church, I'm hurting through all these things and, and whatever. And you know what you do? You get up and you go to lunch. And I'm still in the same condition. Does anybody care that I just told you that I'm going through this right now? Yeah, yeah, I will. But I really, I have to meet somebody. I'll be right back, Pastor. Oh, okay. 
won't mean anything. And you can't expect that to happen. I don't expect you to feel what I feel. It's important to me. It's not that we don't care for each other. I get it. It is important. Let me, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. We need to pray for each other. We need to care. But when it comes down to the pushing, it's going to be you. It's going to be you. That door in heaven is only the size to fit you. You can't go there in crowds. Your problem and your answers, we could all pray for them. We're praying for sick people here in the house. But I'm going to tell you, and I say this is a tough one. Take a deep breath. This is for grown-ups. Say it, Pastor. I'm going to tell you, we can pray for all of your needs. But if the people that are hurting in their disease, in their sickness, in their troubles, don't care enough to get on their knees and fast and pray over their issue. I told you it wasn't fun. Is that true? If you don't care about your family, if your marriage is falling apart and you don't care to get on your face before God to ask him to heal, if your children are running rampant and are drugs and you don't care enough, all you're looking for is someone, you're looking for DG to talk to them, maybe he can convince them to get off of drugs and running out at 3 o'clock in the morning. If you don't care enough to take time and bend your knee and pray, intercede, and have the Lord hold them hostage for you, then what? Finally, this morning, some of us may be having trouble receiving a touch of the Lord because we've forgotten how willing he really is to touch your life. In every occasion, we read a lot of occasions when Jesus spoke to those in sick, and they said, Lord, if you are willing, he said, I'm willing. I think that that's one of the most beautiful things we could hear about Jesus. And when you say, Lord, will you? He says, oh, yeah, I will. That's why the Bible says that every promise is yes and amen. Yes and amen. What do you need? He asked the lame, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, or the blind, what do you want me to do for you, Lord, that I might see? I'm willing. I'm willing. We have such a willing Savior. Willing to love you all the way and rescue you. He's not lost his power. He's not lost his love for you. But I want to remind you of the words of Jesus. Very simple words. Very simple words that might apply to you. And I want you to open your heart to listen to this. And I pray the Lord would pierce your heart if this is you. Jesus said on one occasion, very simple words. You have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. What do you need? Have you asked him? No, I'll take care of it. Knock yourself out. You have not because you ask not. There might be things you might be able to acquire on yourself. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a secret. There are things that God will never allow you to have on your own because he's reserved the right for himself. Yes? Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. 
Why do you think the Lord told the people of Israel when they were walking down the desert to only take manna for a day? Uh, he, he provided manna from heaven, remember? You either read the story or you saw the movie. Remember he gave them manna? He said, take only for a day. You know why? How many of us there would, that would have been there would have taken a truckload? We have great pantries at home. We have, bring the truck. Who's in the trucking business? Can you bring a 45-footer? Let's load it up with loads of bread, man. And the people that did that, you know what the story tells us? In the morning, it was worms. And why is that? Why would the Lord say, just take bread for a day? Because he wanted you to need him tomorrow. He wanted to be loved and needed tomorrow. If you take enough forever, you'll never call on him. This is why it's dangerous to pray for great blessings in the Lord. Because once he gives you that good paying job, you'll never come back. When he gives you a truckload of money, you'll never call on him again. Oh, Lord, give me that lottery. If you give me that lottery, I promise you, oh, I would be the biggest giver. No, you won't. You don't even tithe right now. You don't even give offerings right now. Oh, Lord, there's 170 in the big ball, whatever they call that thing. Oh, Man, if I, I'll, I'll do this and I'll, I'll buy everybody in the church something. I'll be so good. No, you won't. You won't pay for lunch. Oh, I know I'm preaching now. Oh, I know I'm preaching now. He's willing. He's willing to touch you. He's willing to provide for you. He wants you to need him every day. If everything is going good at home, good for you, but still need him. Don't live just because you, you got a good job. Don't think you're going to have that job forever, man. Hey, don't, don't start living your life like you'll never call on him again. I'm going to tell you something. He loves you so much that he'll give you a reason to call him. Ah. Don't say that, Pastor. Oh, man, God loves you so much that the moment you start walking on your own and you're thinking you're all that, he'll give you something that'll cause you to need him again. Simply because he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear you. He wants to hold you again. Son, when are you coming home? I'm your father. You're all grown up. You're 18 and now you think you can leave. And Do I have to call your boss up in Chicago to fire you to get you to come home? At least call me, son. Come and see me. You're mine. And this is the way we treat God. Oh, I got myself something awesome. I don't need him. He, he, he gave me the recommendation and I got this and, and I'm blessed now and all that. Hey, thanks a lot, but I'll see you later. This is how we treat God. He blesses us at this altar. He gives you what you wanted. Then you run away like you'll never need him again. I need him right now.
I need him in my life every day. Every morning that I get up, I say, Lord, walk with me. I even reach out and say, Lord, are you here? Let me know you're here. Don't let me leave. Take another step without you, Lord. Wasn't it Moses that said, Lord, we refuse to move another inch unless your glory goes with us. And this is how the heart of the church, you and I, should be and need to be. There's a lot of unanswered prayers in this church, I know. Some of you have been waiting for God to move on things for a long time. And he seems to be deafened to your prayers. Let me tell you something. God is not deaf. Neither is he blind. Neither are his arms too short to save. Nor his legs too strong to lead himself to you. More times than that is our lack of wanting him to touch us, to live with us, to walk with us. What are you going through today in your life? What are you going through today that God can't fix? Are you kidding me? What are you going through in your home? What are you going through in your life, in your health, whatever, your emotions? at work what are you going through right now in your marriage with your children what do you what you, that God cannot step in and fix so doesn't that make it kind of sound like it's self-inflicting then that you're hurting because you want to I remember years ago I'm taking a little bit more time I hope none of you turn into pumpkins at 12 But I remember a few years ago, several years ago, that I was going through a real hard trial. A tremendously powerful trial. And I kept complaining and moaning and all these things. I, I lost my head over this thing. Oh, I, I didn't know what to do. I was looking under everything, trying to find my answer, trying to work it out, strategizing, putting things together. I know I can fix this. I know I've had that before and I've done this and I keep going. And then one day I went to the Lord. Finally, after being exhausted months going through this thing, I said, Father, have you not seen what I'm going through? you not seen my pain and you know what the spirit of the Lord told me he said you never told me you never told me I mean I mean don't you have eyes to see me you could have at least you you I mean I assume you see God doesn't work with assumptions you know we're so used to assuming right well I assume you were mad I assume you were going there. I, I assume they invited you. We assume everything. But with God, there's no assumptions. He expects direct communications. Lord, did you not see? Surely you could have seen. I assume that you being on top of the world here, you, the universe, you could see this little speck of me right there going through all that trouble. And you saw me on my face crying in the pain over this whole thing. You, you heard me complain and moan, did you not? He said, you never told me. 
Lord, are you just going to wait for me to completely fall apart before you do anything? I don't even know what you're going through. You have not spoken to me about it. Lord, I'm going through this. Oh, I see. Let me fix that for you. And in a matter of a week and a half, that thing was done. Done. Months. Months of self-inflicted pain. I was shooting myself in the foot simply because I was assuming that just because he is God, he's going to do something. But we have a responsibility to speak to him. This is why he said through the mouth of Jeremiah, cry out unto me, cry out unto me. And I will answer, I will respond to you. And I'll show you things you cannot fathom in your mind. I'll do such great things in your life, but you have to open your mouth to talk to me about it. This is why prayer, and the devil has a good handle on this. This is why prayer is dying in the church. People don't pray anymore. Some of us don't even pray for our meal. The shortest little prayer before you stuff your mouth. You don't even pray. Your prayer is, oh, I'm leaving. Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, thanks for this meal. And that right there is intercession for us. We're bringing down the glory. But you know why the devil has done such a good work to involve the church in this numbing of prayer? It's because what I just told you. God won't respond to those that won't speak. He always said, speak to the mountain. Speak to me. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. He's, he demands vocabulary. Vocabulary, real conversation. You want a touch of God? Has it been a while? Could it be that maybe one reason is that you've never asked him for one? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.